0: Welcome to the SPU Voices podcast, where we tell personal stories with universal impact. I'm your host, Amanda Stubbert, and today we sat down with Michael Henry. He's a retired pastor and missionary. Michael's ministry included serving as a missionary in Mexico, where he encountered intense spiritual warfare, and planting and pastoring churches here in Washington State now retired mike pursues writing novels screenplays and film production including an award-winning documentary film entitled kidnapped redemption the story of missionary phyllis sorter's harrowing adventure in nigeria mike thank you so much for joining us today
1: well thank you very much amanda it's a privilege and um i'm just proud to be a part of the program
0: well, we're so glad to have you, and we're going to talk about the film in a little bit. But let's start with your time in Mexico. How do you and your family make a decision to go live and work abroad? Because it's not just your job, right? This is a whole family situation. Tell us about that.
1: Well, thanks. Um, yeah, I I felt called to mission work at a pretty early age in in my teens, and began to explore what that meant. And when I met Shelley at Seattle Pacific, uh, it was actually during a um, conference week or spiritual emphasis week with Luis Palau. And, um, and by both of us were talking to him at the same time, that's how we met, knew we had an interest in missions and things grew from there. And even when we got married, uh, we have our first anniversary in the Dominican Republic, where we were volunteer missionaries. So it's been part of our life and our lifestyle. And um, and then they asked us at that point if we would consider going to Mexico to work at a Bible institute to train pastors. And that was very much a part of what I was feeling called to. Professor Frank Klein, uh, this was back in the late seventies, he I was talking to him about my call to ministry and he planted a, a vision for me to actually teach and train pastors in a foreign setting. And uh, and the Lord just opened those doors for us to go to Mexico. And by the time I did seminary and then a couple of years pastoring in Seattle, the Burian Free Methodist Church, Then we moved to Mexico, our daughters were three and five. So we started a language school, they were with a babysitter and that just began our time in Mexico. And so for the sake of our family, it was a wonderful experience. And then the ministry was life-changing and life-challenging and just a overall great experience.
0: I can imagine your kids grew up bilingual then. Moving to Mexico that young,
1: yes. We um Shelby and I did five hours of language school a day for two semesters to learn Spanish, and they just picked it up by hearing it from their babysitter. And once we got settled in our home in Hermosillo, then they would go to church and just chatter away with other kids and. You know, their Sunday school teacher and so forth. And we were amazed and um, it has stayed with them. And our boys uh, were born during our time in Mexico, but we left before they really developed that bilingual ability, but they both understand Spanish quite well.
0: So it wasn't that you and your wife and the girls could, could speak in Spanish around the dinner table and keep secrets from the boys? That, was, that didn't <laughs> uh, work?
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's right. We still can't. You know, It's like, hey, we have a secret and uh, we can't cheat and speak Spanish because everyone knows it. So uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's fun to have that to be part of our family experience.
0: So you had that wonderful experience in Mexico. You came back to Washington State, pastored here for some years. When and and why did you decide to retire and begin this third chapter of your life?
1: Well, when we left Mexico, they were adjusting things in Latin America. And so it just um, made it so the door was closing for us to go back. And so the Lord helped shift our a vision for us to plant a Hispanic church in Sunnyside, Washington. And then labor after nine years moved to Wenatchee to be on staff and I did that for, I guess, 12 years. And that also was a great experience. And then it, it just felt like it, it was time. And, and I, that's all I can say is we. We just knew it was time for me to retire. Shelly is a public school teacher. She taught for one more year and then retired. And um, it just felt like that was time, that it was time to make that transition.
0: Well, I think a lot of people would say, okay, a career as a as a pastor, as a missionary, and then to retire and dive into all this storytelling to writing novels and producing films and writing screenplays, that that feels like a huge shift. And yet for me, I, I feel like there's something so similar there. I mean, isn't that what pastors do is tell stories and all really good storytellers are trying to tell stories that will impact their readers or or their listeners or those who who hear their stories. What made you want to dive in and do all this storytelling?
1: You know, I I don't have a simple answer for that. All I know is that's how my brain works is all the time a story would be forming in the back of my head. My imagination would just build on it and build on it. So even back when we were in the Dominican Republic, I, I was kind of writing uh storybooks in the back of my mind, but I wrote one out, but never pushed to get it published. It's it just been there, but I never thought of myself as a writer, uh, per se. I thought, oh, you have to be an English major to claim that, but that wasn't the case. It was just a very natural interest and natural expression for me. So I was uh, doing my studies for my doctorate of ministry through Fuller. And I was pushing on that writing and technical stuff, and ministry focused stuff. And the back of my head, the story was building. So I promised myself, when I'm done with the doctorate, I'll jump in and write this novel that's brewing in the back of my mind. And so that's what I did, I wrote that out, and um, got it out of my brain, started to you know, do all the rewriting, find a publisher, and it took a long time, took several years, but it triggered something in me that I really enjoyed this. I like waking up and looking forward to getting to the computer and getting all those images and stories out out of my head and onto paper.
0: Those first two books are period pieces, right?
1: Yeah, it's a trilogy. They take place in uh, 1840 and uh, Two Rivers is the first novel. It's about a young Methodist preacher who leaves New York to go be a missionary to the Native Americans. And he joins a group that goes west with that same purpose. And he has, Alan Hartman is his name, has some experiences of spiritual warfare nature along the way that really starts building his faith and building his awareness and intensity and praying and intercession. So by the time he gets out there, engages with the Arapaho tribe and they encounter some sorcery and witchcraft and he's able to overcome it because of how he was prepared. And that is what engages him with the tribe so that he can speak the gospel or communicate it and be welcomed by them and become a part of the tribe. So it was very much cross-cultural experience, but I guess spirit-led in- engagement. So that was the first story. And then the second story just came out of that. It's called Down the River. Do you want me to talk about that now?
0: Well, sure. But. Um- I, I also want you to talk about your third book, because that is just coming out this month, which is June of 2023, when yeah. this episode is airing. So I want to make sure you wet people's appetites for the new book coming out as well.
1: Oh, okay, I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> <laughs> so the second book is Down the River. And so Alan is called back to Baltimore, the Jamama Mall headquarters, to answer the question why he's not fulfilling all of his responsibilities as a missionary, because there had been miscommunication and so forth. On the way back, he stops to visit his friend, an African-American pastor, a former slave, who had taught him the spiritual warfare in the beginning. So he stops to visit and discovers that he had been kidnapped and taken down the river to a slave plantation. So then Alan changes his journey and goes to rescue Deacon Abraham. And and so the story is how he gets down there, how having no idea where to go, but being led by the Lord and by faith, he uh, is able to uh, rescue him. And then the third book picks up there, it's called The River West. And it's the journey of how they get Deacon Abraham back home and then get Alan to clear his name and get back out to his Arapahoe village. And so that book, um, The River West, should be out this month. And we're moving very quickly in that direction.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Spiritual warfare, cross-cultural situations even slavery like these things are still around today why did you choose this particular time period to set all your stories
1: yeah well i was doing ministry in mexico and we were encountering demonic situations demonized people Um, i had to learn how to help with that to learn how to cast out demons and do inner healing work and the deep level of discipling to get people to walk in new faith uh, with jesus rather than falling back into their old habits and patterns so in learning all that i thought wow i maybe i should write a book but at the time in the 90s there were a lot of books out about spiritual warfare and i thought oh just no point in adding to that but i should maybe write it in a fictional way, but then I don't wanna look like I'm copying Frank Perebi's books. <laughs> maybe if I put it in a, a missionary setting, and my interest just as a hobby is researching the old west and the fur trade era and the native American spirituality. So I thought, oh, that's a good fit. And then I learned in that research, that the Arapaho were very spiritual people Uh, well, like many native groups, but they in particular were known for being religious or or very spiritual. And so it just made an easy connection. And so I did all that research and and put it together, but it it just felt good to me to do it that way.
0: Mm -hmm. That's where you felt comfortable. What time period? I I totally get that. So let's talk about how you ended up producing this award-winning documentary about Phyllis Sorter, which is back to cross-cultural situations, back to ministry and and such an exciting story. Tell us how you got to be a part of that film.
1: Well, the same month that I began uh, work on staff at the uh, Wenatchee Free Methodist Church, now called Sage Hills, Phyllis came to be a missionary speaker. And I was the mission's pastor among my responsibilities. And so I said, hey, well, you know, what can we do? And she said, why don't you bring a team to Nigeria and help build a school? At first I thought, wow, I've just heard about all of these ab- adventures and I can't say no, because I didn't want to seem like I wasn't brave enough to join Phyllis in this work. And so I said, sure, we'll do it and uh, put together a team. And within nine months, we were there. And um, we were at the ground level of starting construction of a school in a Muslim community. So there was some tension there, but it worked out beautifully. Each year I've gone back, it's been beautiful. So it was meeting Phyllis then and getting to know her, working with her. And then when we heard she was going to come and speak at our church for a missions conference, but she was kidnapped. And so we began praying and engaging with, you know, a thousand other people to pray for her safety and her release. And then she was released and wrote a book about it, came back and told the story. And I, I said, because my oldest daughter, Audrey, was working with a film producer, I I just thought, well, Phyllis, why why don't you make a movie? And she said, well, can you look into that for me? And so I thought, well, why not? It sounds fun. So I got in touch with my daughter and the producer she worked with. And one thing led to another. And then it was decided, let's go with a documentary. And then I connected with Andy Yardi who became the director and editor and one of the because he does a lot of missions videos. And I said, hey, I don't know how to make a documentary. Can you work with me? And he felt ready to join that team. Mm-hmm. We hooked up with another cinematographer that we both knew, uh, Yayo Aumada. His family lived in our town, went to the church that we went to. And so we have a lifelong connection with him so it just came together we went over to nigeria did the filming and put it together and with those guys and their amazing talent it just flowed together and andy did the editing and we worked together on that and just came out with a beautiful film that tells her exciting story and i'm proud of it and i i think it really shows what courage and faith can do when they work together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty amazing combo, isn't it? Yeah. The film is, is fantastic. And by the time this podcast airs, you will be able to find that film, find Phyllis Orders film, um, kidnapped redemption streaming. So Google that now and make sure you watch it soon. It's fantastic.
1: It has been on YouTube. For a while, and there might be some other platforms uh, where it will be out soon. So yeah, uh, yeah, you can watch it, um, and and I think it's very inspirational.
0: I agree. I think it's extremely inspirational for everyone who wants to take a few minutes to just absorb that story. I think someday that documentary will be picked up and turned into a major motion picture. And um, I think maybe Meryl Streep could play Phyllis Sorter. That's, <laughs> yeah. my, that's my casting choice. Someone else said Glenn Close, but someone awesome, yeah. someone awesome can do it.
1: Well, I was just going to say she was 72 when she was kidnapped and went through that ordeal. And uh, so I think you're right. Um, Meryl Streep or Glenn Close or someone like that could could maybe pull it off
0: i always put myself in in the position of someone going through whatever they're going through and you think what would i do in that situation and i can't imagine going through it the age i am today much less in my 70s it's it's pretty amazing and talk about courage and faith married together it's such a good story
1: phyllis is just a woman of courage and tremendous faith and the
0: 2023 s p u Alumna of the year, so congratulations yeah. to Phyllis. All right, so I'm fascinated by your seemingly divergent careers, but like we said i I also see that major overlap of storytelling um and then the vocations of your children if if let's make sure I have this right, you have a nurse, an actor, a coast guard officer, and a firefighter. your four yes. children. Do you think your love of story and and aiding humanity in the community has rubbed off on them? It sure seems like it just by looking at their careers,
1: yeah, well, certainly adventure is part of our lifestyle, I guess, so they and they've all stepped out in faith, like Audrey is the actor, and she graduated from s p u and she said, "I don't want to wait like I need to move to l a so I took her down there and our little church commissioned her as a missionary to Hollywood, and she just plunged in. And Emma as a nurse, and then later she uh, did three years of mission work in Spain. And uh, Alexander in the Coast Guard, just stepped out on faith to do that. They're now moving from Puerto Rico to Alaska, if you can imagine the adventure that takes. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron, the youngest, is a, a firefighter right now in the Puget Sound District and uh, doing doing great. And his wife is also adventurous. They do a lot of rock climbing and backpacking. And so it just has rubbed off. But they share faith. They share stories. And it's just part of what keeps our family together, I guess you can say.
0: Yeah. Wow. Just thinking note to self as a parent, you know, give constant chances for adventure because, boy, will that lead to great things. Great yeah. things. Well, Mike, what's next for you? What's the big dream?
1: Well, um, a couple of levels. Shelley and I have done two thirds of the Camino de Santiago in Spain. So one dream is to finish that. And that's a 500-mile trek, so we just have the middle section to finish. But I guess a bigger dream is to see one of the screenplays I've written become a a feature film. And working with my daughter, Audrey, on that and and just see that actually come to life so I can go to a theater and watch something that I've worked on and a film that has a message to it. So... In, like, the novels, if I write something that's a faith based Western and want to see it, you know, present the heroes as people of faith and not as psychotic psychotic bad guys, like many uh, preachers are depicted. Mm -hmm. So, just uh, want to speak some life into the cinema and that includes a solid voice of the gospel in there.
0: Well, that is music to my ears personally, both the way that you are describing that thought, um, sending your daughter off to Hollywood with the blessing Mm -hmm. and support of your church. Um, I also have a theater degree from SPU, um, psychology as well, but I remember church shopping once when my husband and I were first married and, and an older couple invited us to lunch after church as couples do right. You, as Mm -hmm. you're trying to be hospitable, um, and we're going around the table. There was another new couple from the church invited as well. And and we were just sort of going around. What do you do? Right. What do you do for a living? And I said, I'm an actor. And it was like all the oxygen got sucked out of the room. Right. And someone said to me, well, you aren't going to Hollywood, are you? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I hope so. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's just like was this such an odd reaction to me because I thought, wouldn't you want me to go to Hollywood if I could bring some light and some hope? with me it just seemed like such a strange attitude to me and and yet i i found that over and over again so your your families and your church's view on on hollywood and storytelling is is such a breath of fresh air and i think it's what the church really needs oh
1: yes i agree that's very true and audrey was really good at that just engaging with fellow actors and a crew, people, and not being shy about her faith, but also at the same time having to be kind of underground about it because mm-hmm. uh, saying you're a Christian can get you blackballed right away. Yeah, but it's that's breaking apart.
0: Yeah, for sure it is, and and those lines are being blurred as you don't have to go the mainstream way to get something produced anymore. We have a lot more options. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's all be in prayer for how those stories of hope can really break through into that, into that media that is then accessible to, to a much wider audience. Um, Mike, I have had so much fun chatting with you today and, um, can't wait to go watch Phyllis's documentary one more time, even though I've seen it multiple times. (laughs) Um, But let's wrap up with our favorite last question. If you could have everyone in Seattle do one thing differently tomorrow that would make the world a better place, what would you have us all do?
1: Well, I think I would say to do a study, both a a biblical word study, but use spiritual discernment and do a study on the difference of compassion, grace, and tolerance. Just so the church, a body of believers, and any people of faith can just be true to the faith and not let worldliness impose itself on us and and cause us to weaken our faith in Christ, our trust in God, and our hope for making Seattle, making Washington State a wonderful place to live and raise kids.
0: Amen. All right, Mike, well, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on campus as we celebrated Phyllis Sorter this month. And please do come back and join us as soon as that first feature film hits the red carpet.
1: Wow, I'd love to, Amanda. I sure appreciate the time.